NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Wait, are you gaming on a Chromebook? Yep. It's got a high-res 120 hertz display, plus this killer RGB keyboard. And I can access thousands of games anytime, anywhere. Stop playing. What? Get out of here. Huh? Yeah, I want you to stop playing and get out of here so I can game on that Chromebook. Got it. Discover the ultimate cloud gaming machine, a new kind of Chromebook. The great cricketer is a Twitter stream. It's about playing cricket at the grade level. It's a tough, mean, dirty, dirty business being a great cricketer. A lot of cricketers, you know, that's all they know. They've mm. done it since they're 10 and they have a deep-seated fear of change. But the great cricket is all about being the most alpha version of yourself as possible at all costs and at all times. I don't bat or bowl. I just feel the gully, count the number of dot balls in a row, sledge 15 yards, make me feel better about myself. Thanks, Thanks champ. champ. Oh, no, you called me champ. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Grey Cricketer Podcast on Fox Sports. What a massive show we've got. Gideon Hay is on the show. Gideon Hay is on the show. ODIs, the David Warner Show. Australia and Pakistan, the preview. That starts today. India versus England, the wrap-up. The law changes proposed by the MCC. The under-19s carnival. Your questions asked TGC. My name is Ian Higgins. I'm joined by Dave Edwards and Sam Perry. Chaps, welcome. Mm. Thanks, he goes. Thank you. Uh, your introductions are getting more buoyant every weekend. Isn't it a hot one today? Is it hot enough for you? How many times have you been asked that today? 83. Never laughed once. Mm. Same people who say, is it hot enough for you? The same people say, nice weather for ducks. Mm. It's the same. So this isn't a global that. enterprise, what we're doing. We have people listening over in England or anything like that. Is it uh, hot in England mm. today? It's just Sydney. Mm, yeah. Sydney-centric. Which is why speaking to Gideon today will be good, because he's based in Melbourne. Yeah. Yep. Was born in London. Trying to try and find out a little bit more about him, like how many mm. test matches he played. Because mm. um, yeah. I'd never heard of him. Never heard of him. Never Apart heard from of him. that. Not have never heard of him. But uh, th- there was a couple of ODIs leading into the test matches that we're going to discuss. Yep. Uh, just wanted, last time we spoke, Australia had beaten New Zealand in at Marnica Oval in Canberra. Mitch Marr scored some runs. So let's just quickly yep. wrap what yeah, that happened was in, in the Canberra. third one. That was in Canberra. Yep. Very few people turned up to the MCG. Standard crowd debate about it and whether ODI should exist at all. Let's just talk about what happened. Australia trounced New Zealand again. Yep. Uh, the star of the show was David Warner. And I thought we could just talk about Warner for a little bit. Okay. Because all of the reviews of this one-day series has been done. The less said about it, the better. Let's be honest. We know it needs to exist. Respect mm. to the format mm. and its memories yep. in, in the 90s. But let's talk yeah, about... We were con- contractually obliged to play that against our, our Yeah, exactly. Tables. Horse trading, yep. I believe. No one wants to play, but a bit of, it's about no. horse trading between rich nations. Yeah. Well, Dave, you said it last week. It's just It was incongruous in the timing of the series. It was mid-series. We had a couple of days to kill. Let's play some ODIs against mm. New Zealand. That I know whenever I've got a few days to kill, let's play a 50-over fixture in hot weather. <laughs> <laughs> That is true. We, we did that all through our youth. <laughs> David Warner hit uh, 156 off 128 balls. He yeah. batted through the innings uh, only to be dismissed off the last ball, and that mm. caused conjecture over whether that many carried the bat or he didn't. He didn't. He got out. He carrying got out. the bat is part of yep. – Carrying the bat in field. He walk off the not field, out. not out. And That's doesn't right. that just mean his innings just meant nothing? I mean, like, I'm talking, I'm talking <laughs> yeah, about absolutely. just throwing it away. I mean, Renikers. I mean, he was on, he was on 156. Mm. Like, he could have let that ball go. And just taking the dot ball. It's not the way he plays, though. He could have marched into that dressing room. What have you boys ever done? This reminds me of a situation where I, I put it to you guys. Let's say you're on, let's say you're on 99 mm, in, yes. in, a, in, a, in your own match. doesn't matter the standard. And you're on 99. You're on strike. You need four to win. Mm. Can you just, like, knock a single down the ground, just walk down, and then just take your, take your lid off, arms in the air, and celebrate your 100? Because then you could march into that dressing room and say, hey, I've got 100 not out. What did you boys do? Yes. <laughs> I think you can. I mean, I don't think anything would stop you. <laughs> no, but it's selfish, boys. Yeah. It's, yeah. No one wants to be accused of a selfish act on a yeah. cricket field. Yeah. But no you're one. right. I mean, this is, it's like, I mean, we're going to talk to Gideon Hay later, who's a master of the classics in literature. There's one thing that I know about him. Yeah. And that's like a catch-22 situation mm. by mm. Heller. You know, like you, <laughs> everyone, in, everyone in cricket tells you to be selfish yeah. and to own the innings yeah. and 100 not out looks good in the paper. Yeah. What's the problem with it? Mm. But isn't, isn't cricket, it's just, I mean, it's, 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 in the, it's in the moniker of it being a team sport, but it's really just individuals trying to perform for themselves much in the same way that in a doubles match, really, if one person is performing very 
well and their partner lets yep. them down. They've played well and then they thought they can uh, you know feel good about themselves. Yeah, great analogy. I, I think I think there's nothing more to be said. I, I think you're talking about something interesting here, though. He goes because you're talking about uh, selflessness versus selfishness, and just on the Warner like point, he, he's changed. Warner's changed. There's been a lot coming out in the press recently about how Warner's he's changed. no longer the bull. He's the reverend. Yeah, uh, he's breaking records again and stuff. But he's found a, uh, there's an, he's got a newfound zen. Yeah, um, and and he, they've put it down to his work with a former aerobics instructor. With a karate black belt and a triple university degree. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. If, did they exist? Triple university degree? I heard of doubles. Anyway. Um, Just loves hex debt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he's a secret weapon behind David Warner's summer scoreboard right. assault. His name's John Novak. Mm. So I've just given I bet you a he's li- hating this publicity. Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, yeah. But he, of all of those things in his kind of CV that I just read out, yep. the one that stands out to me is that he was the host, the co-host of Aerobics Oz Style between 1986 and 1990. Now, do you guys have a relationship with Aerobics Oz Style? I do remember it. I think it was yeah. on, was it early in the morning, like a 6.30 a.m. Saturdays? Yeah. Yeah. Before cricket. It was very useful as an adolescent male growing up in the era before the internet. Yeah, for reasons we won't go into. No, that's no, right, cardio. Pezzi, you mentioned that, um, that Warner is now the reverend. Mm. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, you know, he's the reverend with a rig. He's got the best pipes I've seen yeah. on a religious figure since yeah. Pope Benedict. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I've been spending a bit of time thinking about this because Warner obviously used to be the archetypal mm. attack dog. He yep. punched Joe Root in the face. Mm. Now he's now he's gone zen. Twenty sixteen really is the worst year. I mean, I wouldn't have yeah. picked. I'll, I'll give you three yeah. things that happened this year: yeah. a Trump presidency, mm. Brexit, Warner becoming zen and positive. Yep. Which strikes you as the strangest? Mm. I think I'll, I think Warner was always on the on the cards for mine. I mean, whenever I look at Dave Warner now, I think born again. He's 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 evangelical he's born again religion. Yeah. Cool song. Even if you look back to that Joe Root <laughs> incident that you mentioned, he was defending Hashim Amla um, yeah. because Joe Root was wearing a beard that he deemed you know to be potentially racist. So he's sticking yeah. up for him. So there was always there. There was always a little bit of that in Dave mm. Warner, mm. and it's just great to see it come to fruition. Mm. But do you think there's a Ned Flanders element to that? I mean, with Flanders, you could if you just chipped away enough yeah, yeah. beneath it was a very very angry person. And, and yeah. do you think that? We might see that come out with yeah. David Warner as well. Oh, well, I mean, he's obviously drawing on you know, new age philosophies here. I, I don't think he's actually mm. religious now. He's probably he – he might have a life coach at Bondi Junction. Mm. He might be reading a lot of wellness blogs on the internet. Well, this is Novak. It's his mind coach. That's, that's what they're calling him. Novak. Yeah, John Novak. Yep. So, but uh, see, this is my mistake now because I thought that Dave Warner's secret, secret weapon – was his God-gifted ability and years and years of being a professional cricketer. But in fact, it's just a guy who's just telling him how to, how to ch- chop kick something. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think so. I mean, everyone's, everyone's got to have an edge. The question yeah. I had for Warner was that as, you know, his century seller, he's scoring a lot of hundreds, right? Let's loads of them, Sam. Loads yeah. of He got tons. six in one day in this year. Loads of tons, right. loads of records. And whenever he scores 100, he kind of has contractual obligations to commercial sponsors to yeah. celebrate in a particular way. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we, we can all imagine it now. But yeah. Uh, yeah. now that he's working for the old aerobics hostile, yeah. Instructor, yeah. I wonder if he could just incorporate some aerobics old style into the century celebrations. You know, step touch, for example. I'd get behind that. I'd get behind Novak. There's been. Did you guys read a lot of the reports that came in about how Matt Renshaw, the young twenty-year-old who's recently been picked for Australia, has uh, had already bought a ticket to the game as a fan mm. back in May? And then Don't you love those stories? Yeah. Then his missus said, "No, nah, you're not allowed to go." Blah, yeah. blah, blah. Anyway, yeah. it, what a dilemma! It, it took a turn. It took a turn this afternoon. Is he going to go? He's not. He's going to play for Australia in the game. Oh, and, uh, okay. but, but his mates have come out in the press and said yeah. because he now can't fill his ticket, mm. they've looked into buying a mannequin to uh, replace him. And they're <laughs> right. calling it Mannequin Matt. So they've got his Cricket Australia profile picture. And uh, I thought it was quite interesting because they said, look, we, there was two ways we could get a picture of his face to sit on the seat. One was just to get the Cricket Australia profile pic or the other one was to print out a picture of KD Lang. Right, <laughs> the famous '90s crooner. And I thought Katie that was, Lane. I thought that was quite good from his friends in the yeah. press to equate Matt Renshaw now forever as looking like Katie Lang, and he does. So this is this <laughs> is, is, is it a full sized Katie Lang? Because yeah. I remember she has quite a quiff to her hair, being yeah. annoying if you sting directly behind uh, the Katie uh, Lang mannequin. 
That's an interesting take on it. Legitimately haven't seen Katie Lang in, in 25 years. Yeah, um, well, you will on Thursday. Uh, yeah, but I mean, this is the great thing about, you know, the, the youth policy that Australian cricket should go for is that it involves young Australians and aren't young Australians just the worst kind of people? They're also 95% of our demographic, by the way, but they just, you know, <laughs> but they'll come up with this kind of hijinks. Yeah. And I'm all for it. It's a nice little story, isn't it? It's, it's well played. Well, you can it's banter. You can bet that if uh, Channel 9 had been reading the uh, ABC's article that I read today, then there will be plenty of shots into Section 30 of the Gabba looking for for a mannequin oh. mat, mm. but let's talk. Let's talk about the match. There's cricket to be played. There's okay. Okay. Right. The first thing that the first thing that's going to be on people's agenda is Amir from Pakistan. Yeah, Muhammad Amir. Yeah. 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 Do you guys have? You know, what do you think about his? Well, it's uh, interesting how many people call Faf Duplessis a cheat because he put his lolly saliva onto the cricket ball, and that's how we lost two test matches by you know a million runs and, yeah. and, and forty three wickets. Um, the Amir story is definitely the big story, isn't it? And has he paid his dues? I mean, he has gone away, paid his dues. Paid his dues. He's like yeah. the you know he's like the club president who's done a bit of time for tax fraud, sure. and he's come back and welcomed into the club. No dramas, you know. You welcome those guy guys back, and he adds a lot of value. Yeah. Um, and at the Gabba, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about the Gabba in a moment. But mm. did you see uh, how Amir performed in that CA11 game where he took, I think, a four for three in a few in a, in a few mm. overs? Yeah. Um, under lights with a pink ball. Yeah. He's going to be tough to face. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to seeing him. And, you know, if you are listening to the show and you've got any kind of contribution to the public discourse, please don't write about him or talk about him as making a comeback. He's made the comeback. Mm. It's happened. He did. We weren't even part of the story. He's yeah. done it. He's gone to Lords where it happened. We try and insert mm. ourselves into it. It's done. Let's just enjoy him bowling. Because he hoops it around, and then we'll start hating him when he starts getting guys out. So I was, um, so I was in the UK when that um, happened, when that went down, and I was playing for a club in Surrey. And uh, about two months after he got his five-year ban, and someone but and um, uh, Asif were in jail. So his his ban was a was a, a ban from all cricket, mm. all cricket matches he was not allowed to play in. About two months afterwards, he appeared in a village cricket match in Surrey, where he opened the batting and bowling, and he came off his long run. And he uh, and he smoked like sixty, like as if as if that would yeah. like fly under the radar. Yeah. But also, he's a Test match cricketer. Yeah. Why are you playing in a village game? Like wh- after you've got your ban, when you're like with the biggest story in the UK, it was well, very fascinating. He's obviously he also- never heard of the internet or social media. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure fifty thousand blokes took photos and uploaded them straight away. One of the other tantalising subplots to yeah. Australia, Pakistan, mm. yes, is uh, the return of ex-Australian coach Mickey Arthur. He has yeah. coached a bunch of other places as yeah. well, but uh, mm. that's. Mm. It's kind of bubbling away. Mm. He, he's overseen a Pakistan side that yep. was number one for a long time, number against one. the odds as well. Yep. And um, sorry, you like my hype man as I'm talking because <laughs> I feel like I'm the hip-hop artist and you're just in the back going, yeah. Uh, and, I'm waving uh, a towel. Yeah. But yeah. they've just been pretty comprehensively beaten in New Zealand as well. Comprehensively away from, beaten New Zealand. Away from home. So um, did, is, is, is Arthur Foxing, how much does he want this? Has, Has anyone asked him this? about homework oh, gate yet? I reckon he was. Because all they he have. is just so inextricably tied to that yeah. stupid word. Yeah. Um, mm. All these years later, uh, it's a lead article today. Oh yeah, mm. yeah. How, mm. What are your reflections on homework gate? Do you re- mm. do you regret homework? Gate? Yeah, that's I it. bet he You've regrets it, it because he's continually being asked it by terrible journalists <laughs> for clickbait <laughs> purposes. Yeah. Uh, I, guys, I don't. He know. said he was possibly too harsh on them, but he also needed to make a stand. Well, I mean, what about the showdown between Mickey Arthur and Darren Lehman? It's it's really, you know, it's the intellectual versus the alpha dog. It's the alpha showdown, yeah. Um, we spoke to Rob Quiney a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about how uh, Rob Quiney said to us that it was Mickey Arthur who described his eight as the greatest eight of all time. Yeah. And that sort of stuck with him. And I think that actually annoyed Bobby a little bit because he didn't ask for that. And it's been, seems to be, you know, a lot of, lot of attention and un- unnecessary, uh, you know, publicity for, for Bobby on his um, it is, career. It is funny how words can stick with particular yeah. things, champ. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we can't, we can't run away from that. Lads, I reckon Mickey Arthur wants this and he wants it bad. I reckon, like, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> He's Eddie Jones, basically. What Eddie Jones <laughs> yeah. is doing in is England in the rugby. Yep. That's what Mickey, yeah. Mickey Arthur needs. He needs this. Yeah. He really needs this. Yeah. Rugby he, union he for Melbourne listeners. There are other sports, yeah. There are other sports available. If you are Mickey Arthur and you're sitting down in your leather chair, let's say, and uh, he's maybe relaxing, he's got a scotch or something, and he's trying to figure out his his blue sky scenario for cricket over the next few months. Would it not involve a shellacking of Australia on their home deck? And don't forget, Pakistan beat England at home uh, with this pretty much the same side last year. And... Uh, sorry, this year, and 
following that, Australia to go to India and uh, lose in the way that England are losing now and just mirroring exactly what happened to Arthur. So I think the purists want a strong Pakistan Pakistan team to come out here. I certainly do because I said before, when Pakistan are doing well, I think they're like I think it's really exciting when they're doing well. Um, unfortunately, they are terrible away from home. The same as India, they just they don't travel well, and it's really frustrating for me to see them lose in New Zealand against not a particularly strong New Zealand team who's not on the, the back of a lot of form because Pakistan have got a really exciting. They've got Wahab Reyes. There was obviously that infamous showdown at the Adelaide Oval against Shane Watson in the That's World great. Cup. Um, Shah, the best leg spear in the world, who's been mentored right. by uh, by Shane Warne, and then the return of Muhammad Amir, let alone a wonderful batting lineup. Yeah, they've always had real match winners, haven't they, Pakistan, yeah. over the years? Mm. You know, you've reeled off some of those names earlier in the podcast. Mm. And we always expect precociousness from Pakistan, mm. don't we? We expect them to be mercurial. All these words will obviously be used by Mark Nicholas within the first five minutes <laughs> um, of, of the coverage yeah. at the Gabba. But, yeah. I mean, what, what do we really think is going to happen in this series, honestly? I actually think that, I mean, this is perhaps a reflex to me thinking Australia would steamroll South Africa, who mm-hmm. were at a comparably you came worse out very, situation. Very boldly in yeah, the I, first d- I, I did, and, uh, and and we all know what happened. You mentioned he goes that they they travel badly, but yeah. I can't ignore that they beat England um, yeah. in England yeah. when people didn't think they could. Mm-hmm. And I I honestly. It wouldn't surprise me if uh, Arthur's held them back a little bit in New Zealand yeah. in a very relatively low-profile yeah. match. Right. It's a three-match series. Mm. They're playing. They've got wonderful swing bowlers mm. playing a day-night test at the Gabba, yeah. and uh, you know two batsmen in Misbah Ul Huck mm. and Yunus Khan, forty-two yeah. and thirty-nine respectively, yeah. who still score runs in their late forty. You know, yeah. averaging in the late forties. Yeah. You know, they they. They're every chance. Against a side who isn't that good. Yeah. Like, let's, yeah. Against a, aren't a, that good. Against yeah. a, we're a nervous those, side. We're a nervous side. We're a nervous There's three lineup. guys playing their second test match ever. Australia is not what it used to be. We're not Hayden Langaponing, Mark or Martin, Steve or Gilchrist <laughs> anymore, are we? <laughs> well, who are the top six? Can you say yeah. that quickly? Go. Hayden <laughs> <A>. Lang. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if we can be earnest, I mean, we sort of have yeah. a little bit. But, have, I, yeah. but I mean, I think what it comes down to is the wickets. And and something that our article touches on, if you can read today on Foxworth's website, is someone knows everything about everything about pitches. But I mean, I think like I still can't believe that we lost to South Africa. You, like you look at how that series panned out. They didn't have Stain. Morkel didn't play. AB De Villiers wasn't available. Yeah. And Hashim Ambala averaged 19 for the series, and they beat us 2-1. And they smashed us in the first two Test matches. Yeah. But I think that was as much a reflection about the state of the pitches that were prepared by Cricket Australia or the curators for those grounds that were, the matches were played. As much as um, like it was really surprising that they allowed green seamers. Yeah. Um, and I think if. If the Gabba is a green seamer, I think Pakistan will win because I think they've got a superior bowling, more balanced bowling attack, I think. Do you reckon there's a lot of pressure on on curators more and more now than there ever was because of commercial imperatives? They need need five days. And and people want to talk about it in the lead up, you know, speculation about the pitch and what it's going to do. It's always going to do a bit early. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's one of the safest things you can say in cricket. Even on synthetic. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, uh, look, Brisbane under lights as well. Yeah. There's a lot of bingo games you can play with mm. talking about Brisbane cricket, as you can with every state. But with yeah. Brisbane cricket, what, how long until, you know, before we start seeing highlights of Michael Slater's 100 against England in the Ashes in 94 or mm, Warren's yeah. a zillion wickets or Brett Lee's six? Or Hussain losing the, I mean, winning the toss of the Gabba and then bowling first yeah. and then how trying to get a million on the first day. Uh, Adam it'll, Dale's it'll catch. Be, it'll be Adam Dale's catch. It'll mm. be in the first... It'll be in the first um, segment of yeah, the show. First yeah. hour, yeah. pre-show. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've been talking a lot about the conditions. Yeah. I mean, but almost too much. Is the Gabba really that humid? Like, we're not playing in Bali. Like, it's still <laughs> no, we're not. Queensland. No. Yeah. And yeah. The balls, yeah. Is it going to yeah. do that much? No, I don't know. But it's, like, the spinners have the best record there. Nathan Lyons mm. got his best best record there. Yeah. Shane Warne had his best record there. Is it's, it another fallacy? Like the whacker is, you know, this this outdated. Mm. I don't think. It, I think it's the, it, it is like we talk about the Brisbane Storm. Like mm. the storms happening in Brisbane in the afternoon. It actually is the perfect storm. Like you're looking at the first time a humid place is using a pink ball under lights right. in a scenario where they need the test to go for five days, which is normally means you're going to make flat wickets. Really what it means is nobody has any effing idea what's going to happen <laughs> and therefore we talk about it for ages yeah. and hope for different things. And then we'll know in two overs in what exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Warner hits three yeah, fours yeah, in the yeah. over and the series yeah. is done. Bang. So Australia's going to win 5-0 and yeah. three test series. Well done. Boy, should we talk about um, the MCC uh, proposing some regulations? Should we move on to that? Yeah, probably. You've really sold it. <laughs> The Let's MCC talk about pro- regulations. What about like what like widespread law changing yeah. cricket laws rewritten in cricket? Yeah. 
you know, the, the, the law-based game. <laughs> so, so the three proposed changes are... The three proposed There's changes. a book called Cricket and the Law, written by a barrister. <laughs> Ripping Reed. Yeah. Ripping Reed. He, that up. bloke hated his wife. Let's yeah. call her spade a spade here. He really did not want to spend any time with her. So the laws that are proposed are that bats can't get any bigger or any deeper. Yeah. No more deeper bats. Yeah. There's also some Look yellow... Look how deep that bat is. Oh, Have you so ever heard deep. that before? Never heard that. <laughs> no, no. Never, never. Keep no. carrying on. Uh, yellow and red cards for bad on-field behaviour. Mm. Right. I mean, that's weird. Yeah, so apparently there's been some huge reports of violence in at lower-level cricket in England specifically. So uh, this is across all cricket competitions globally. Yeah, yeah. well, the example they use, they, they put up Mike Brearley, the ex-England captain, and Ricky Ponting mm. to sort of sell these proposed changes, which will come through next yeah. October. No better salesman than Mike Brearley. That's right, and I've always <laughs> said that. And uh, both of them were really clear. They had their you know talking points, obviously, but they are both really clear that... It's not an issue at the upper end of the higher levels of the game. It's a real issue at the lower end of the game. And it, there was a university study done by Portsmouth University that revealed 56.2% of the 763 umpires, it had to be cricket stats so there, didn't it? Is. Yeah, surveyed, had experienced verbal abuse, uh, and 21 had reported physical violence. So it was more of an issue of people not wanting to umpire the game anymore yeah. because of the way people carried on. Did they qualify how many arson attacks on pavilions there have been across <laughs> no. the board? Well, we've had at least three or four write to us about that. Yeah. Keep yeah. sending them in. It's <laughs> yeah. interesting to see how people react to an LBW. Mm. I'm really surprised by the number of physical assaults being seen on cricket fields because I've never actually seen one. Yeah. I've heard of one story, and I keep in mind, keep in mind you guys, that I've played cricket for a long time, mm. but I've heard of one story of physical violence. So, like, mm. and England as well, like, for, I mean, it's even more polite there. Um, well, it's strictly a non-violent game. It's non-contact. Mm. So you I really have to want it. You, to, to, to get a red card, I can't imagine what a red card would look like in cricket. Yeah. It's, it's got to be a physical confrontation. Yeah. In, like, Mike really said that cricket is the only game, apart from Australian rules football, in which there isn't a possibility of an in-match deterrent for bad behaviour. Fair point. Uh, I'd like to see AFL introduce that before cricket does, though. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. But the AFL's very reluctant to change anything. I mean, they still come back next week if there's a tie in the grand final. So they're <laughs> going to be the last. Well, the game's in rude health. So I think that the reason why cricket is such a like you get so much verbal attacking in cricket is because that you can't physically nut it out with someone you know like in a rugby game it's all like you smash each other for eighty minutes yeah. and it's handshakes and you drink with the other team yeah. you know football as in soccer it's a bit the same as it it's physical and that there are some crunching tackles but you can't actually hurt someone unless you break their leg. That's, that's very yeah. interesting. It's kind of like the legalising drugs theory. Sure. You know, if you just make it available to all, it stops becoming a little of this, this kind of titillating thing. So yeah. you're saying there'd be less sledging if you could just hit people. What I want to ask is... <laughs> Probably, like, yeah. Less in what, less in what scenarios would you... Uh, say you're in the field, you sure. just wanted to hit the basketball <laughs> like... like <laughs> it's the last game of the season. You're not going to make the finals. Yeah. Well, like, you just at second slip. They hit a four... This is no good. Okay, so the situation is uh, let's let's go let's go back to the yeah. you know uh, two, let's go two runs to win on the last ball, <laughs> and the start. batsman hits a single, and they need to get, get the red tip run at the bowler's end. Yeah. Coverfielder swoops, kicks it yeah. up, misses the stumps, and then no, sorry, yeah, misses the stumps, yeah. and the batsman sliding to make oh, yeah. the run hits the bat, yeah. and then it goes into the outfield, and the second run is on. Now cricket etiquette suggests. Yeah. That you are not allowed to run because it touched it, therefore the batsman impeded right. the fielder and you can't. But if you're going to win the game, mm. are you going for that second run? So let's say the batsman turns for that second run. I want yes. nine blokes tackling <laughs> that batsman. Oh, you can actually physically impede yeah. people. Physically. Stop that run so happening. This, so no one will ever win a game. He goes, no one wins. There'll never be a result. No it's not legalising drugs. This is legalising guns. <laughs> Yeah, you're yeah, not yeah. solving issues with your words anymore in cricket. More you, guns. Yeah. No. More guns. More will guns. Lead to less violence. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah, yeah. That's how it works. Yeah. Okay, so that's that's sorted. Uh, I think we're in agreement. <laughs> Deep bats. Good. Well, I actually I actually think that enough enough. I think enough is enough with the bats, and here's why: purely on statistical analysis. Zero tolerance. Zero yeah. tolerance on deeper bats. Yeah. As much violence as possible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Have as many guns as you want. Stop the ammunition. Uh, no, what I'm saying is that the big bats. Like, like, it's gone too far. Because, for instance, like, if Bradman had the bat that Glenn Maxwell was using, mm -hmm. Bradman would have averaged 342.63. Well, and that's a fact. I mean, we talked with, with, <laughs> we're talking with Gideon Hay in a moment. Yeah. You just look at the Trumper picture that his book is, is hinged upon. Yeah. Mm. Look at how small that bat is. Yeah, yeah toothpick. It's a dead-set toothpick. Yeah. 
But I, I mean, legitimately, like you can miss time a ball for six now, and like, and, and even even when Ricky Ponting was going around, and let's say in two thousand and four, he had mm-hmm. that. Um, what, what was it, the back of his bat was black? What was it, carbon fiber or something like that? But yeah, it was deemed illegal. Right, yes, but if, I mean, even that bat. Or like, better example, David Warner when he made his debut in the T Twenty against South Africa, the MCG scored eighty eight. Um, and he, you look at the size of the bat he was using then; it's a lot smaller than what it, one yeah, he's right. using now. But it was frighteningly uh, large to the viewer back then. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, so I just think that there's, so we're just used to it's like the NBN. I think you know, it's, we're just used to fast broadband. You know, mm-hmm. we can't go back to dial up. I think it's such a batsman's game, and there's this perception in cricket that like everyone wants to see in a one day international. 450 plays 440. But I think what people want to see more likely is 37 plays 40. I mean, it, again, I, I'm making silly metaphorical analogies, but it's kind of like uh, like performance-enhancing drugs. Mm. Like, where would it end with bats? Mm. If it just, if you could just have as, as big, big a as, bat as possible, as would it be like those, ov- those oversized golf clubs? You just come out, yeah, with a bat as wide as the ground. Yeah. You just put it up. I'm not getting out. Yeah. Your move, MCC. Yeah, I've got the biggest bat in the world. Um, the game would be a lot worse if we were in charge. It's we're going to talk quickly about India and England because that's a, probably the biggest series that's going on at the moment. It's one yep. place. It's one place too. Yep. So when we last spoke, yep. England was still in the series, and there was some positivity around them in, in terms of the runs that they've been scoring over there and unearthing a few new players, a few young players. Hasib Hamid being one. He got injured. They brought in Keaton Jennings to the fourth test. Keaton Jennings. Hit 100 on debut. England right. hit 400 in the first innings. They came back from that scenario a couple of years ago to do well in the series. Uh, mm. This time, though, they got absolutely slaughtered. India made 630-odd, yeah. declared. Kohli made a double ton. Yeah. Uh, Jadeja may run. No, someone else may run as well. Anyway, carry on. And, uh, and then they bowled England out for about 100 and won yeah. by eight innings and 30. And now all we're hearing is that heads must roll. Heads got to roll. Is, it, is Cook the one to go? I mean, he's the captain. Should his head there's, roll? There's talk about Alistair Cook perhaps relinquishing the captaincy. I think the verb, is, yeah, the verb is important. Yeah. Does he resign? Is he sacked? Or does he relinquish, which is a little bit more kind of opaque in terms yes. of the way it works? I think this is a precursor to what we're going to see in uh, six months' time when we go to India. In that if Australia, let's say, let's say Australia draw the series against Pakistan, or it's even if it's a narrow win, we, like, we will get pumped in India. Like, we will. Mm. And, and so do we have to lose half of our side when the result is already almost a foregone conclusion? Like, is our commitment to winning that big that mm. we can't just allow the side to go through that? I well, mean, I'd be thinking point. about mm. resting players so as to not go through the psychological torment of it. Mm. But maybe the yeah. torment well, would yeah. be good. You know, that's a real opportunity mm. to learn from, you know, a terrible experience. Yes. Life lessons. Yes, but, Life the lessons. Pro- but the problem is they'll... They'll struggle, and they and they won't be. Um, it, w- it won't be a rewarding experience going through that. And then the the public pressure will be such that we will demand heads to roll. And I suspect Steve Smith, who's already under a little bit of pressure um, in terms of his captaincy, he's going right. to go to India. And if we lose, is it a three test series or is it a five test? I series? think it's four. Is it four? Is okay, yeah. so, I had, so I had three options, and I got it wrong. Yeah. Um, and and. If we lose that series four now, which you've got to say is a distinct possibility, he's going to be in serious trouble for his job. Yes, uh, but but and and he shouldn't be. Like we're all no, going to know. Just, into, we're all going to stark when you. Yeah. his job. His job. Is, <laughs> yeah, because there's just this reflex of like anymore. if you underperform, uh, even though it's all expected, mm. you've got to go. It's just this kind of symbolic thing that must happen. Uh, you say that we're going to struggle. Mm. There's been some um, correspondence come out from none other than intrepid. Uh, I guess commenter on cricket, Dean Jones, who has a piece in a new book of his with a quote from VVS Laxman saying that Australians have been gardening wickets incorrectly Mm. this whole time. (laughs) Um, If I could just kind of paraphrase VVS, he says the Australians tend to kick off any small bits of turf and not fill these holes that sometimes have sharp edges to them. Indians, we, we look we look after our office. You always got to keep your office clean. You got to keep your bedroom clean. It's about keeping your workplace clean. He just kept talking about the cleanliness of his workplace. Yeah, and he clean. said they actually fill in the holes with any debris that might be on the pitch. So they they see the stuff that's on the pitch and go, I could use that. Yeah. It's sustainable yeah, yeah. living. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's actually using yeah, what's yeah. there to, to uh, continue. Australians existence. even garden aggressively. Mm. But in my mind, I can just see Ricky Ponting kicking the wicket with his yeah. heel. Mm. That's how he swept the wicket round and to, to yeah. clear it up. But that was, that's wrong. It's funny to think of the pitch as a desk, like or kind of like a shared <laughs> workspace. <laughs> <laughs> like it's like a Regis building. There's always yeah. different companies there. You got a shared receptionist, <laughs> yeah. you know. But your desk is an absolute mess. Exactly. You know, bad. Standing desk, though. It's a standing desk. Yes, standing desk. Well, where does that come into play? Yeah. But I, I love the idea of because I'd never considered that before. Um, I don't think anyone in Australia had that. Like nah. you can see a cricket wicket yeah. and go, that piece good. will fit really well in this uneven yeah. piece here. Yeah. 
where does that end? I mean, it becomes. I mean, we love renovation rescue at homes and gardens. You know, we start having reality TV shows. So about how does it work? Do they, do they just use their bat to nurdle it into yeah. the, to the yeah. crevice, yeah. Or, yeah. or like do you just pick it up? So I, they think the ball spins less or spins with more evenness mm. if you fill in the holes. Whereas we kick the we kick debris yeah. away, yeah. making sharp edges. Yeah, Renault so, Rumble. Exactly. Rona Rumble. Rona Rumble. I mean, going back to the England series, I mean, for mine, like anybody who's getting sacked for losing a series in India or, or hints that he should resign, I think is way too far. I think Alistair Cook is, is doing a fine job. And I think Joe, for him, is a little bit too early. Um, I know in my mind he's still a 14-year-old boy or yes. Ellen DeGeneres. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but he, I think it's a little bit too soon for Root just out. And I think Cook's got a lot to, a lot, a lot to offer. <laughs> I'm sure the ECB will take that on board. <laughs> Gideon Hay coming up. This summer, we've got the biggest renovation challenge yet. Two teams will have to transform not one, but two broken down grade cricket dressing rooms every single week. There will be tension. What even is grade cricket, Dazza? Why do we take time off work to do this? Come on, Charlesy. Work hard, love. (laughs) There will be drama. I just... I just want to make this perfect. Great cricket deserves a great home. But when the reveal comes, there will be joy. Oh, 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 oh God, lads, boys, look at this, right? Results! Results! Ever since the missus booted me out and took the kids, I've been sleeping in this dressing room. It's a second home to me, literally. So this is, this is really special. For us to be able to come in and give these grade cricketers a beautiful new dressing room, one they can drink their beers in, sing the club song, judge each other in the showers, yeah, you know, it makes you feel good. But this ain't no charity. Not when the stakes are this high. I'm not here for a bloody holiday. If I wanted that, I would have gone to Bali or Thailand. It's Australia's toughest renovation competition. Winner takes all. If I have to dish out a little bit of chin music, I will. (laughs) Presented by Australia's favourite knockabout blue-collared larrikin millionaire. We're giving great cricket the Renault makeover it deserves. Renault Rampage, coming soon. Boys, the guy we're about to speak to has been writing about sport, business, both and neither for more than 30 years. Mm. Uh, He's contributed to more than 100 newspapers and magazines. He's written 32 books and edited seven others. Though some say 30 books. There's a bit of conjecture that we'll ask him about, my cricket, etc. statistics. Mm. Um, The esteemed publication, The Observer, declared uh, about him in 2005, if Flintoff is the cricketer that England waited two decades for, this man may be the writer for a game that inspires literature. He can do comical, historical and tactical. He can also quote Hobsbawm, G.K. Chesterton and Mark Twain and not sound as if he's showing off. It is our great pleasure to welcome Gideon Hay. Gideon, welcome to the great cricketer. <laughs> it's an honour. It's an honour that I've been waiting for. This is the culmination of my entire career. <laughs> <laughs> and, and just for a bit of background, you've just said to us that uh, you're speaking to us from a flip phone. Uh, the battery may go dead. And uh, you're also at a cricket game at the moment. I am. I'm at the Matty Shield game at, uh, at Turek Park watching uh, Box Hill per- ladies play Paran ladies. And it is a beautiful summer scene, a gorgeous suburban oval. Uh, Meg Lanning in the in the centre, and um, it's pretty glorious, actually. Fantastic ground here, great atmosphere, and um, some very high-quality cricket going on in the middle. Gids, that sounds fantastic. And I think we generally start the so podcast... We're calling him Gids. Yeah, Gids. Sorry. Yeah, yeah no, we, we've <laughs> met once before, so yeah. that's yeah. how we're going. Yeah. Um, look, we usually start the podcast the same way every week. Just to kind of ask a bit about your relationship to club cricket, I know that you... Um, your team, the Yarras, you're obviously very fond of that and have a strong relationship with them. Maybe you can kind of talk to us uh, about your, your current relationship with, uh, with the grade system. Uh, fondness really doesn't kind of cover it. It's a sort of a, a tormented, tumultuous love affair that I've had with this club for, for 22 years. It's treated me pretty, pretty meanly at times, but I keep coming back for more. Have you ever paid subs? <laughs> I, I haven't paid subs, despite the fact that I'm an honorary life member. Um, I go on, uh, go on plugging away, and uh, look, you know, I'm the game's record holder, and uh, and I tell you what, there, um, 
I've got my BDI on number two and three on the uh, on the games list too, and I don't like it when they're playing and I'm not. I've broken broke my finger three weeks ago, so I've been out since then. But I'm determined to get back this weekend. Oh, is that your writing finger? <laughs> no, it's my it's my it's my it's my ring finger on my left hand, so I can't get my wedding ring on the moment, which was causing my wife great chagrin. So, are you on more circuits now? <laughs> <laughs> I could easily do that. I'm not sure my wife would notice. I told her I was going to cricket, she'd just look the other way. Oh, now, I guess, Gideon, we're talking about your time at the Yarras. I don't think as many people would be as familiar with you as a player versus you as a writer. So I looked up your my cricket stats. Uh, and if you wouldn't mind, I know this is probably the, the worst thing. This is the worst way you can alpha somebody yeah. on air. But I, 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 think, I think it's something to be proud of. Uh, 3,880 runs at a batting average of 20 and a highest score of 92. We'll get to that in a second. 312 wickets at 16.57 and best bowling of 6 for 6. My question to you, Gideon, is how would Gideon Hay describe Gideon Hay as a cricketer? Mm. i tell you what, I'd love to face myself. <laughs> I, I, I sort of dream of that. I'm sure that there's some virtual reality simulation on the cards that will enable me to do that eventually. But I've always, I've always longed to tonk myself all over the park. There's something uh, Freudian about this. I know, I, know, I know how few wiles I've actually got. Uh, the 92, uh, interestingly, it, it took me all day, and um, it was the last two-day game that I played. I, I sort of suddenly slipped below that plimsoll line that uh, that distinguishes uh, two-day cricketer from one-day cricket, so I went out on a high, or if, you, if you can describe making 92 in a day as a high, uh, and... Uh, uh, ever since then, I've been sort of scraping the bottom of the barrel in the um, in um, in the. I'm down to the fifths now. Uh, kids, Sam and I play actually played a cameo with your team last season. I think you compiled a pretty neat forty or fifty odd not out, even in, fifty. Yeah. And Barry, was, would you like to talk us through your performance? No, we, we won't go there. Um, I wasn't planning on going there. Uh, yeah, but you know, I, it wasn't unnoticed on my behalf that most of these runs came behind square. Uh, kind, of, kind of nerdling the ball in that respect. I'm just wondering when the last time uh, it was that you kind of opened the shoulders and hit a maximum for the arrows. Fifties, fifties, fifty. Whether it's nerdled or not, Sam. You, and uh, I must say that the uh, you've that, was Dave. that magnificent. Uh, sorry, Dave. That magnificent straight drive, which surprised me almost as much as it surprised the bowler. <laughs> Uh, so, Gideon, I mean, on to what uh, you know, you're most well-known for, and rightly so. We, we spoke with Brendan Julian. I wouldn't call him a contemporary of yours a couple of weeks ago about the state of Australian cricket writing and cricket commentary. Mm-hmm. And, you know, many people would argue, including me, that you're the best in the world at it. And I don't mean to be sycophantic about it. But I wanted to ask you while we have you here, what, what do you think makes good cricket writing, who do you admire? And uh, as a third appendix, if you, would, if you will, mm, yeah. what's the place of social media in cricket? God, it's got no place in my life. Um, that last question is very easily answered oh, uh, in my case. <laughs> well, I mean, what, what makes good cricket writing? Good writing. Good writing, that's the simplest answer. You know, fresh, lucid, lively prose, you know, illuminated by original thinking that doesn't take itself too seriously. It's not... It's not rocket surgery, um, cricket writing. It's um, you know, it's it, it shares all the attributes that uh, that one um, sort of associates with with quality literature. Sometimes I think we sort of we overemphasise the cricket and we underemphasise the writing. Every piece of writing should be a pleasure to read and to leave the reader feeling uh, you know subtly illuminated afterwards. Uh, you know, I take a lot of care over my my writing. Um, because I know that's the kind of person that I that I am, but uh, maybe the maybe the writing these days has become a bit of an afterthought, and that we're so sort of obsessed with the idea that you need to have uh, cricket credentials, as it were, in order to have an opinion. That we've that we've forgotten that um, that ultimately it's 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 about the reading experience as much as it is about the conveyance of uh, of a view. Yeah. Gideon, I mean, you've got a book out at the moment, uh, speaking of writing, it's on Victor Trumper, it's called Stroke of Genius. Uh, you, you could be forgiven, I think, in this country for thinking that Australian cricket history kind of began and ended with Bradman. But, of course, Trumper was really the first iconic cricketer. Uh, can you just run us through a little bit about Trumper and what made him kind of so brilliant compared to yeah. his peers? 
Well, iconic is a very good word to use in his case. I mean, it's it's often overused in the in the context of uh, contemporary culture, but he exists these days primarily as an icon, as a as a as a as a visual uh, figure. He's probably the first figure, in fact, who was cricketing figure who was chiefly bequeathed to history in a visual form. I mean, the the the, so the, the bones of, of Trump's career are that he played 48 Test matches between. 1899 and 1912, and made um, 3,613 runs at an average of 39.04, <laughs> and made 800s. But I mean, that's the least interesting thing about him. Yeah. It's his significance as a uh, as an embodiment of a certain kind of Australian cricketer. Uh, he creates a sort of a uh, a, a blueprint or a, or a, or a, um, a, an originating form for the kind of the idea of. Australian cricketers being sort of attacking, aggressive, uh, taking the game on, um, and showing a certain style and brio and generosity in uh, in, in doing so. Uh, he was as famous for his uh, blameless character as he was for his immensely stylish batting. Uh, I, the interesting thing is that up until Trump, uh, Australian cricket had been identified with uh, a, a pretty austere style of, uh, of, of cricket, that we were known to be sort of resilient and, and practical, but, but not particularly adventurous. But Trumper is the, is the kind of guy who, who breaks the mould of, of Australian cricket before him and leaves it ever after changed. And in that sense, the idea that he could be summed up in a single image playing a beautiful attacking shot is actually not misleading at all. And that's one of the reasons why the, why the image so resonated with people at the time and make such a natural fit with uh, those sort of half-remembered factoids that we uh, that we have about the legend. I th- it, he's, he's actually a club legend of, uh, of my club uh, here in Sydney, Gordon, and I'm fairly certain... Well, I, yeah. I know for a fact there's a story. I don't know how true it is because <laughs> um, I, I haven't checked on my cricket because it wasn't available when he was playing, but, um, <laughs> but, um, but he scored 300 in a day. Um, and I don't oh, know if, if that's the... He was good. Yeah, he was good, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know how that's possible, given he played on uncovered wickets, wasn't sponsored, and was batting with a toothpick. Batting, toothpick yeah. Yeah. Well, he made 335 in three hours. Um, <laughs> oh, just playing, three hours. Uh, yeah. yeah, playing for, um, playing for Gordon against uh, Redfern. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, but it was eight ball overs back then, so it's a bit different. <laughs> yeah. Race through them. Yeah. Actually, actually, it wasn't. It wasn't eight ball overs until the nineteen twenties. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, his 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 scoring rate. They didn't keep ball by ball stats in those days, but his scoring rate, I think, in runs per minute, is still unequalled in uh, in Test cricket. I think Adam Gilchrist is probably the closest who's come to it. If, if we can um, move sort of a hundred years down the line of, uh, of, of Australian cricketers, I mean Shane, Shane Warne is someone who has uh, captured the imagination uh, for many reasons. He and his new face. Um, but uh, but you wrote uh, a book that the three of us here in the studio here have, have thoroughly enjoyed on Warne. Um, and I just wanted to ask you. I mean, I think I think I'm right in saying that you first met him in was it 1994? Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, and. Yep. And one of your first meetings with him, you sort of noticed that then he was like struggling with coming to terms with his fame. Um, how do you see Warren's evolution from when you met him to as far along as today? I, I don't think he was struggling. Okay. I, I think he was getting used to it, but I think he actually had kind of got to like it. I, I don't think there's ever been a man in Australian cricket history who's been as comfortable with the trappings of fame as, as Shane Warren. It mm. took him very little time to uh, to get used to being the centre of attention, and there's part of him that's that's always gone on loving that role. Uh, yeah, back in back in those days, he was coming to terms with the idea that everyone would have a view about him, even though they hadn't met him, which is a confronting idea for for someone who, uh, you know, I think he was only 24 at, uh, at that age. Uh, the idea that you know, when he walks into a room, everyone's going to already know who he is. And, uh, and have a view about him. But, you know, the way in which he uttered that, that sentiment, which he actually articulated to me at the end of our interview, was someone who was just rolling it round in the back of their head. It wasn't a terrible thing. It wasn't a, it wasn't a malign development. It was just something that he knew that he was going to have to get used to. And he was right. 
Gideon, if we can now just jump back 70 years. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, we like to so do when you bought your current fashion. phone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, look, I want to I talk briefly about Bradman, if we can, because, you know, sure. we like to make a lot of jokes on this podcast about Bradman, mainly because he's been treated like a god in this country. Mm. But also, it's funny to think about how we'd go in the modern era of, you know, aggressive alpha grade cricket. Yeah. Um, well. But it's, it's been well. years since, since Bradman passed, and, and you've written about Bradman extensively. Uh, hmm. I'm just wondering what you think about the legacy of Bradman and, and whether it will indeed live, live on uh, you know, in the next 20, 30 years. How's it going today? Or will it kind of just be reduced to you know, just the 99.94 average because yeah. you know, the final vestige? Well, I think it's... Um, we're, a very statistically, we're an increasingly statistically focused game. So in that sense, you know, that, that, that corner of the game is going to be preserved forever in his image. He is going to be the benchmark in, in some respects. Yeah. Every sport would like a Bradman figure, and cricket's good fortune is that, it, is that it already has one. I mean, I suspect that the legend will go on being contested. I mean, the kind of the, the, the phenomenon that, you, that you're talking about, that sort of late period... Uh, rediscovery of Bradman by the kind of the forces of social conservatism in Australia, you know, the idea of the greatest living Australian and then the greatest dead Australian uh, kind of became a bit, you know, it was irritating. It was something that you, that you instinctively reacted against. But there's no doubt that Bradman's been more successful at a thing that Australians value than anyone in sort of any comparable walk of life. I mean, the fact is that you know, it's it's quantifiable his his degree of superiority. That's that's one of the fundamentally uh, sort of uh, reductive things about sport. But it does mean that you can sort of estimate uh, his prowess relative to, uh, to to the competition. I mean, in a sense, we've gone on telling ourselves the same story about Bradman over and over again. That, if anything, that would be my criticism of the way in which Bradman's been studied. We only want to know about you know, the period, the 20-year period where he was at the, at the peak of his powers and the rest of his life fades into insignificance. We, we've betrayed a kind of a, a bit of an incuriosity, a genuine incuriosity about the figure. We don't want because to know. we want to go. We don't want to know. We want to go on believing in it. It's just such a marvelous story that if you um, you, you don't want to interfere with um, with uh, something that's so comforting, so reassuring. Uh, I get the impression, Gideon, that you're somebody who might um, be so courageous as to inquire as to the parts that we might not want to know about. Well, what are the parts about Bradman? Do you think Australia might not want to inquire about? Oh... Uh, Sectarian violence. They're not, yeah, they're <laughs> not necessarily, it's not necessary that you have to penetrate the, the secrets of Bradman. Mm. I mean, uh, you just have you to know, ask you know, the question. In a way, uh, a, lot of, a lot of that kind of biographical grist for the mill has kind of gone by the board because all Bradman's contemporaries are, are dead. Uh, you know, he's, um, and his literary estate is basically uh, can't be touched because the copyright will be controlled until 75 years after his death. So uh, the possibilities of adding significantly to an intimate understanding of, of Bradman's life are remote. But the context of Bradman's fame and the, the context of the country that, that he inhabited and the institutions that he helped to shape, I don't think we understand those well at all. We basically just keep on talking about the 99.94 mm. and reciting the scores off the top of our head, which I've no doubt that, that you three boys can do because you're sort of natural cricketing patriots. Gideon, mm. mm. if I can um, now move along to 100 years' time from now, <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to ask you about where the game's going. Um, mm. and, and perhaps perhaps 100 years is a little bit too long. That's, that's set in jest. But... Um, mm. I mean, something that you're a part of is the is the, the documentary Death of a Gentleman, which is really fascinating in terms mm. of, and speaks of Australia's place amongst uh, India and England and, and really the monopoly, yeah. the monopolising of, of cricket in those countries. I mean, if you could speak freely about that um, uh, for a little bit and then, and then perhaps where do you see the game as going? Because, I mean, do you see the game as slowly dying out in terms of numbers being played in a competitive environment or do you see the game as strong as ever? Well, I mean, the economy of... of, of cricket is unlike the economy of, of any other comparable sport. No other single country is so dominant in its sport, uh, economically speaking, as India is in, in cricket. Sure. And that is having kind of 
a distorting effect on the uh, on the shape of the game. Yeah. Uh, and in a sense, um, you know, it's the it's the it's the Indian consumer um, who is going to have the decisive say in the direction of the game. And we're all really spectators to that. And I don't think even the people who are running the game in India really understand the, the direction in which the game is headed. They're sort of uh, climbing aboard this giant elephant that's sort of rumbling off down the down the road. We're not quite sure where it's going to lead, but it's probably going to make them quite a lot of money in the in the interim. Mm. But we, we are seeing the collapse. You're right of the of the system of of international cricket as as we've known it. It was remarkably stable for a very long time. Uh, you know, it's amazing that the institution of the test matches withstood challenge. For, uh, for for such a long period, having been invented, you know, in the uh, in the in the late 19th century, yeah. I guess the next the next sort of interesting step, and I guess one of the things that perhaps we're we're sort of unaware of is the sort of the stealth corporatization of the game. I mean, we're accustomed to the idea that there are all these influences now external to uh, to the game that are having influences over it. There's you know. There's the players, the administrators, government, broadcasters, sponsors, the Supreme Court of India, which is uh, which is having a, a pretty big say in the way in which cricket is run in India at the moment. But but also, I, I think that private capital is probably the next uh, shoe to drop, mm-hmm. as it as it were. Uh, you know, already it's it's uh, basically runs the IPL that um, that's tied itself to uh, to Indian corporate fortunes. But I suspect that the next step will be possibly the sale of BBL franchises in Australia. I suspect it might already have happened if, uh, if the money had been available to do it. Yeah. Uh, some, of the, some of the IPL owners have already reached out to the Caribbean Premier League. Perhaps the next step will be kind of transnational corporate institutions controlling different sporting properties. And that's going to have uh, an effect on the, uh, on the existing institutional structures of, of cricket, which, can't, which we can't quite predict. A uh, thorough answer, a Gideon into a possibly dystopian future for, for cricket, depending on um, when you were born, I guess. We're going to move on to a, like a, a lighter part of the interview, if that's okay with you, Gideon, called sure. Throwdowns. I don't know how familiar you are with it, but uh, we give you... I'm familiar with Throwdowns. I do quite like them, I must say. <laughs> you won't uh, like these. Yeah. <laughs> they make me feel much, much better. <laughs> we, uh, yeah, they, they do. They're like a cure, yeah, aren't they? Um, Comfort food elixir. for cricketers. Yeah. It's an elixir. We, uh, we'll ask you a question, and we, we'll just ask you to answer as quickly as possible, maybe 10 okay. seconds maximum. Yeah. Uh, sure. So I'll, I'll kick off. Uh, Gideon, as we know, cricketers operate in a feudal society where respect is conferred in direct relation to runs scored, wickets taken, and test matches played. Um, <laughs> does the same system exist in cricket writing? And if so, how many times have you said to people, how many books have you written, champ? <laughs> <laughs> it's never come to mind, I must say. Uh, knowing full well that none of the potential respondents would have read a single one of those books. <laughs> uh, Gideon, uh, your thesis, Information Idol, How Google is Making Us Stupid, talks about how the search engine's methods are narrowing public dialogue. Based on his single-minded approach to aggression and hardness, is Darren Lehman coaching Australia using Google, and what does this say about his search history? I did once meet a man who'd learned how to play the front foot defensive shot by uh, by googling what it was what it was all like, uh, and if it, if it worked out as badly for him, um, then I really don't want to see that um, becoming part of Darren Lehman's kit bag. <laughs> Gids, what gives you the right to have an opinion about cricket when you haven't even played any Test matches? Yeah, that's right. Well, I often say Mike Atherton. Uh, I often say that Mike Atherton and I have played 115 Test matches between us. Uh, <laughs> And I figure I've stood close enough to him that at least a few of those test matches must have, must have brushed off on me. <laughs> Just ge- geographical proximity is enough. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Gideon, word has it you don't drive and don't drink. How are you able to alpha a single person at your cricket club? You're right. I'm a, I'm a dismal failure in that respect. I mean, my as my was getting into the car a few years ago with my daughter, she said, Daddy... You can't drive. I said, no, no, I, I can't drive. She said, and, and, and you don't cook. I said, no, no, I don't cook. And she looked at me sympathetically for a moment and a little smile came across her face and she said, but you can play cricket with your friends. <laughs> and I thought, she totally worked me out. She totally worked me out. <laughs> so 
the main strife of the end, her short life has been Daddy walking out the door with his cricket bag over his shoulder. Oh, a sad, sad state of affairs. Oh, my God. Uh, okay, Gideon, you, come, you often appear on Offsiders. Uh, yes. Perhaps the only reliable source of sports opinion on free-to-air television. However, it's hidden down the order in the low-rating slot of Sunday morning. How many chops are you away from a primetime berth on Q&A? <laughs> <laughs> I must say, I've never actually watched Offsiders, uh, and, I've, and I'm completely unaware of, of who actually watches it. But it's, um, look, it's classic El Cheapo ABC television. I think the fact that we share the same set of insiders is, uh, should make us Michelle Guthrie's pin-up boys. <laughs> how inconvenient was it for you that your wife gave birth to your daughter in the middle of a Boxing Day test? And what excuse did you use to get out of it? Good question. I, I actually got married in the uh, in the mid-season break of the previous season. Uh, the, the priority, of course, was to make sure that I didn't miss a game for the Arrows, and I'm proud to say that I didn't even miss a training session. Uh, funny enough, I did actually... Uh, I, I ran into Warney the day before uh, my wife was due to give birth, and uh, he took one look at my wife and said, to boy, to boy, my wife looked bad shape when, uh, when, when we were having our boy. And of course, it was a girl. So <laughs> that's But he said it. But he said it with such confidence. <laughs> uh, Gid, speaking of Warney, uh, in On Warn, you actually compare Shane Warn with Jez from the UK sitcom Peep Show, due to his ability to wander into mishap and misadventure so often that it sometimes suggested an unconscious relish for it. So, if Warn is Jez, then am I right in guessing that Colin Miller is Superhands? <laughs> <laughs> Mind-boggling possibilities, doesn't it? But who is Big Suze? <laughs> uh, Gideon, you say that you're not on social media, inverted commas. This question actually no. came in from a colleague of yours who wanted to remain anonymous. Mm. Um, but they also say you're well across what's happening on social media. So what's the handle of your secret, presumably, egg Twitter account? <laughs> no, no, I just, I've got absolutely no idea about it. Uh, I think I've Peter Lawler. Peter Lawler, who is my eyes and ears, so I often tell him he he, he is, you know, he's in touch. He's in touch with the young folk, but uh, but really, whole sort of social media storm has passed me by on a daily basis, and I'm uh, I'm sure that um, that I'm missing out on something. But I can guarantee you that, frankly, if if you ever see me on Twitter, you know that it's over. <laughs> because I always, I always arrive at a new technology at the minute that it's becoming obsolete. Yeah. Well, following on from that, Gids, um, I mean, you are frequently, frequently referred to as the greatest cricket writer in the world. Do you have any idea how hard it is to make a joke in 140 characters or less on the internet for four and a half years? I never want to find out. <laughs> never want to find out. It's a problem with Twitter. I'm just too long-winded for it, I'm afraid. <laughs> Gids, your new book, as we discussed earlier, is based on the famous photograph of Trump playing a staged photo, uh, a staged cover drive in the early 1900s, mm. arguably the most evocative image in cricketing history. Any truth to the rumour that your new book will focus on Glenn Maxwell's infamous reverse sweep by batting three in a test versus Pakistan and how that represents the general malaise in Australian society in the post-war Buchanan era? No, you know, the funny thing is that um, some of the descriptions that I've heard of Trump remind me of Glenn Maxwell. Uh, this capacity that, uh, that was said that, that, that Trump had for hitting an identical ball to six different places on the field. I thought, when I think of that, I think of Glenn Maxwell. So that's, um, I actually feel a strange wave of affection came in, coming over me when I, uh, when I imagined the parallels. I can't see him sort of buying sheet music from, uh, from an urchin in a, uh, in a London street for fear that the child will go to bed hungry. But look, um, I, I get as much pleasure from watching Glenn Maxwell as I do from, from any contemporary international cricketer. Precisely because I don't really know what's going to happen next. Maybe Glenn doesn't either. When you ran a feature story on us for Boxing Day, for the Boxing Day edition of The Australian last year, was that the first time you realised that cricket in this country is seriously in trouble? <laughs> uh, look, it was... Um, it was a mistake. It was... A, well, it was... Um, it, I, I, I got a lot of pleasure out of that. I got a lot of pleasure out of discovering you guys. Um, it was... Um, I don't know. We, we, 
we sort of complain about the quality of, of cricket writing in, in Australia and, and we complain about sort of the decline of, you know, what we regard as sort of these, these whole institutions. But I actually think that cricket writing is in some sense, has never been more exciting and more various and more open to outside influences. And I actually feel a kind of a... Having always fancied myself as a bit of an outsider cricket writer myself, this environment really, really suits me. Um, it's You know, I started writing for a fanzine back in 1990 uh, with, with no cricketing background at all. I was a business journalist. And uh, so, you know, it does my heart a lot of good when I see um, new, interesting, fresh voices uh, entering into the field. The trick is, of course, to stay that way. Uh, I guess that's why you've sort of tackled a, um, a new, uh, a new milieu or a new, um, or a new, album, uh, the podcast. Um, what do you do next? That's what the public is crying out for. <laughs> yeah, they really are. It's been such a privilege to have you on, Gideon, this week. Uh, I think it's fair to say you're probably the most erudite ga- guest we've had. Um, it's between you and Brad Hogg. Brad Hogg was pretty good. <laughs> Hoggy was good. I thought Merv was all right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but it, really a, a, hu- a huge privilege for us, Gideon. Thank you so much for joining us and, uh, and for your encouragement as well. Uh, I'm, I'm absolutely wrapped. Look, the flip phone, how well does it last? It's been on one bar for the last half hour. Don't make them like they used to. So, don't make them like they used to. I'll, I'll, I'll never get another one, too. I'll never get another one. <laughs> Good luck, Charles. Right. over the next Brilliant couple of <laughs> Thanks, Gideon. Cheers, Thanks, mate. Thanks, boys. <laughs> See ya. Lads, that time of the week where we take your questions. Uh, the great cricketer follows. You can reach us on social media via Twitter or Facebook. This first question to us comes from Dan Ranson. Mm. He asks, is there a correlation between the number of sponsors on a training shirt and the quality of cricket? No, there's not. And he actually, Dan lists a club team in here. I didn't want to mention the club. No, no, Um, neither. For commercial reasons. Yeah, absolutely. legal reasons. But that club club has 14 sponsors. 14 sponsors. Uh, I think, I've always thought there was a correlation between the number of sponsors and their place in the community and that the community actually liked the game. (laughs) I was going to say the exact same thing. Yeah, Yeah. oh really? Yeah. 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 So I was kind of admired it and was a bit jealous of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But I often find the sponsors are really kind of awkwardly placed on t-shirts like to be fit in like a really kind of tacky NRL side as well. (laughs) And you wouldn't want to, it depends on the tiers of Sponsors as well, and I'm assuming these are all just you know local, you know Danny's Auto Parts, Campbelltown, Camden. Mm. You know, isn't sitting alongside BHTP Billiton, <laughs> you know, or, or some yeah, 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 yeah. none of that. Yeah, They're just 14 very, very small businesses all competing for space on a club cricket shirt. Wouldn't that would that, would that intimidate you? Just seeing a side sponsored by KPMG. <laughs> feel the same when I play Phil Mickelson at golf. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Callum Holloway writes in, uh, playing my season in Australia from England, I came up against Brenton Parchment, former West Indies test player, two caps. Uh, it was 36 degrees and I was into my 12th over when Brenton Dill scooped me over our keeper's head for four. I followed this with a can't you play a proper shot champ. And the very next delivery, he walked down the pitch as I was mid-run-up before pelting the ball over the sight screen for one of the biggest sixes I've ever seen. Looking past this, was I right to champ him originally? And should I stop name-dropping this into most cricket-related conversations I have with blokes I've just met? <laughs> Two-pronged question there. Yeah. Uh, look, I think the champing is warranted. Don't you? <laughs> uh, well, you, yeah, you if you, like, if you, you like losing. Yeah. See, my take well, on I just a... think he's, he's dill-scooped him first up. Yeah. Um, and you, you have to, it's just a natural reaction to champ someone, regardless mm. of their level or, or experience at the test arena. You have to champ him. And I like that um, Brenton Parchment has walked down the pitch as, as, as Callum is uh, mid-run-up. Yeah, I like it's not even in the delivery stride. No. Like, he just starts walking at it. Yeah. How long's his run-up? Like, 24 paces, he's walked up. He's, <laughs> he's 12 paces in, yeah. halfway from the sight screen, and he's, you haven't seen it, but you've still been hit for one of the biggest sixes you've ever seen. <laughs> See, I think Callum here, is, for mine, he's come full circle because, I mean, first of all, um, Brendan Parchment obviously is West Indian, therefore cooler than everyone else yep. in the game. immediately. So, therefore, he can get away with dill scooping um, first ball. Um, I don't like. I think can't you play a proper shot? Champ is shit chat. If I'm being honest, but then Callum brings me back and have come full circle with him um, by saying that should he be bringing this into conversations with blokes he's just met? I, th- mm. I found that funny. So well played, Callum. So well um, yeah. bad chat originally. Sledging West Indian. Let him do whatever he but wants. Keep to. dropping it in. Yeah, but keep dropping it in. Adrian Walton. Uh, his moniker is at I'm Edge. Says uh, creams or whites. Is one more alpha? Does one show off the rig better than the other? 
Can we be quick with this? Whites, yuck. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to creams v. whites, all I ask for is consistency. You can't have 11 blokes on the same team with various different shades of white or cream. So spot on. That's all I care about. The man writes in and says, do you pay for new training tops or wear the shirt from eight or nine years ago? Subtle reminder to all that you've been around for a bit. I really I really like that. He yeah. uses the hashtag ICGC as well. Yeah. Um, that's fantastic. I mean, that's first thing that you do. You've got to wear the oldest club shirt that you have possible, giving yeah. you as much social capital as possible. Yeah. Old, I mean, when I started playing grade cricket, old stuff was good. It was kind of retro, vintage, yeah. uh, someone's experience. I just wonder, like, the more we've thought about cricket, the the more, how long hmm. ago do you wear a shirt or do, like, you, do you wear a shirt before it becomes embarrassing? What does kit look like? Mm-hmm. It just doesn't or, look good. It doesn't look like time. I'm just assuming wise. everything old looks like, you know, mm. retro 80s or 90s kit, but it doesn't. It just looks bad and unfashionable. Mm. If you're like 20 and you see someone in something from 1989, you're like, what are you still doing here? Mm. <laughs> when are you going to move on? Yeah. I read out a long one here from Facebook. It's a, no, the Facebook ones are good. Yeah. And you know what? If the listeners have made it this far, they're listening to the end. Okay. <laughs> or, they, or they're asleep. No presumption. Yeah. And they'll yeah. hear well, We got your click. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, got got, click. we got your download. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Reg yeah. Roberts. Am I watching uh, the cricket? He start, Reg Roberts starts. He just says, guys, you focus a lot on the son to dad relationship, but what about the other? Understanding this isn't quite grade cricket, but it's the stepping stone, junior club cricket. Mm-hmm. He's a dad of three boys, Reg, 14, 12, and 10. Yeah. And he goes on and he says, what's my expectations for watching their games? Should I be splitting my time evenly, or can I devote most of my time to the under-14s, whereby at least it resembles cricket rather than the under-10s, where it's more often not just a game of wides interspersed with a bunch of overthrows? Oh. I'm torn between my duties as a dad and those as a cricket fan. Cheers, Reg. Great question. Great yeah. question. Must just say it's great that the dads are reaching out to us yeah. now. You know, usually we get children yeah. worrying about their relationship <laughs> with their father and now Wives. it's the absolute reverse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look, I think, you know, splitting your time evenly is the diplomatic approach. But mm. I I personally would identify the one with the best talent relative to his age group. Spot on. Because when he eventually makes it, you can say that you taught him everything. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, self-interest governs all, even if you're the father of three young humans yeah. uh, trying to make their way and looking up to you for everything. You've still got to be self-interested. Yeah. I mean, this is why cricket's dying, right? Because, like, imagine, like, our parents drove across, all, all, for all three of us, they drove mm. across the state. Greater Sydney. Sometimes interstate mm. to watch rubbish, like, to watch mm. me bat eight and not bowl. Mm. Yep. Um, and uh, and just talk to parents that I thought he got along with well. Well, he hasn't kept in touch with them, so he obviously hated all of them. And this is maybe something to throw out there to the listeners if you're still with us after this amount of time. Yeah, I'm actually us. quite interested in the social dynamic between parents in cricket. Yeah. If you've got any questions out there for this section, just illuminating what it's like to deal with other parents and dads and mums. I think that that's, that's untapped stuff. Mm. Mm. What about the parents that set up tents? Like <laughs> over on one side of the field? <laughs> they always kind of, I, I'll get here first. It's like they're you know, getting a good spot at you know, the big day out or something. They set up shop here. Yeah. Did you ever liaise with them? They I'm imagining the like, a, like a beach. Field. Yeah, the ones who sit the other side, they're always the rarest parents. And you're yeah. like the kind of place you go to the house and they've all got all weird stuff. Yeah. There's always the dad <laughs> who matches. walks around Nothing the oval matches. because he's just watching his son like a hawk as well, yeah, knows yeah. everything about his average yeah. of three decimal points and stuff. He's happy to talk to a conference call to China. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's one or the other. It's definitely one or the other. Okay. I think we do well there. Uh, mm. Max Denning yeah. says, uh, again, it's a longish one. Dear TGC, <laughs> uh, I'm getting socially alphaed, more alpha stuff, by my ex-girlfriend. I find my friends preferring to spend time with her instead of me. How can I resolve this conflict with a great cricketing mindset? <laughs> Considering she doesn't play or understand cricket, so my state-level <laughs> leg-side shots won't be appreciated. I have no way to alpha her back. My second instinct is to challenge... That's kind of a oxymoron, isn't it? Uh, is to challenge my... My opponent to a fight <laughs> won't work because she's a woman. <laughs> what, should, <laughs> what should I do to put out for her? <laughs> this isn't well. This is an easy. Oh, one. This man. is an easy one. Get yourself down to the gym. Get your pipes mm. as big as possible. Make her jealous. Make her see what you're missing out on. And just because and she, she'll yeah. see those pipes and she'll yeah, be thinking, yeah, yeah. think of the maximums he's hitting now. I mean, I'm already assuming his Facebook profile pic is him hitting a cover drive. So change that. <laughs> Maybe put yourself, yeah. you know, one of those promotional shots of you at a nightclub. Um, you've also asked us to resolve this with a great cricketing mindset. Yeah, is there well, any he, flexibility on that? No, I, I think it's go and get big pipes. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he does pipes, wonders man. for your life. Well, there's I mean, only one answer, and it's pipes. I mean, worst thing you can do is train legs. 
that's that's literally the worst thing that he could possibly do. What a gargantuan show it's been this week, guys. I hope you, I hope everyone out there enjoyed Gideon Hay. Something uh, a different perspective, someone uh, who can string words together better than anybody, really, us. Uh, when it comes to cricket. Uh, keep sending your questions in. Big thanks always to to Shano, Jules, and AJ for your help with the design, the graphics, uh, the music, the voiceovers, yep. the silly ads and stuff. Mm. Uh, we'll catch you guys next week. Cheers. Cheers.